Please stand for the reading of God's word from Numbers 6, 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you. Good morning. Can you all hear me? Not quite? There we go. Is that getting better? All right. We're in business. Uh, Well, good morning again. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. Again, a happy Mother's Day to those mothers in the house. Thank you for being with us. Thank you uh, for your patience with us. Uh, We know Mother's Day is a a difficult day for some of us, uh, as Janice uh, prayed about. And so if it's a difficult day for you, we're glad that you're here and pray that the Lord would give you his comfort and presence. Uh, And we're actually talking about some of those very things, about the blessing of God today. We're in a a series uh, that I'm calling The Life of the Church, uh, designed at helping us understand what does it mean to be the church? Why are we here? Particularly, I want to describe to those of you who who may be here this morning who don't believe, what is church supposed to be about? What is Christianity? What are we here for? What are we here to be? What are we here to do? And to those of us who do believe, I want to tell you again about who you are now in Christ, not just individually, but as a people together. What are you here for? Who are you? What is this life of the church? Uh, There are many different pictures that Scripture uses to talk about the life of the church. What does it mean to be God's people? We're using one particular picture. We're borrowing from an author, Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Life of the Beloved, and the picture that he uses there in four words to describe what the Christian life, what the life of the church is about. Uh, He uses the picture that we're going to come to at the end of our service, the sacrament of communion, where he talks about how bread is, is taken, or you could say chosen. It's blessed. It's broken and it's given. And he says, as a Christian, I am called to become bread for the world. Bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given. And likewise, our Christian life, the life of the church, is meant to be sort of a living sacrament that is given for the world. So we've been working through this picture of these four words uh, two weeks at a time. We covered chosen and now we're coming to blessed Today we're going to do that through looking at the passage that was just read for us, Numbers 6, uh, 22 to 27, maybe one of the most famous blessing passages in all of Scripture, known as the Aaronic blessing, not ironic, uh, Aaronic uh, for Aaron the priest. Now we're going to be focusing on the nature of God's blessing. We'll see that in verses 23 through 27, uh, the necessity of it in verse 23, and then how God performs this blessing in verse 27, all these things to help us live more fully as those who are blessed by God. So the nature of the blessing, the necessity of it, and how God actually does it. But before we get into that, would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask God to fill up our hearts and our time. Father, as we did at the beginning of our service when we paused for our prelude to let our hearts be still for a moment, we would let our hearts be still again 
for a moment now. We heard your word read to us about your love for your people, your kindness, and your care. God, I pray that these would be more than words this morning. That this would be, in some sense, a new reality that we step into, maybe for the first time as those who have never known you, maybe for the first time in a long time as those who have walked away from you and been hard-hearted for a time, maybe just for the first time this week, if we have known you for so long, God. Would you, would you be this blessing in our lives? May we live as a people who really are blessed. In a world of brokenness and pain and agony, God, would this be something like the burning bush in Exodus, that we would be a people, yes, consumed in some way by the pain of the world and yet not consumed, that we would be ablaze in some sense with the blessing and goodness of God amidst the pain of our world. Would you come and do that for us now, just by your grace? In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We will work back through the text a little bit here together this morning, but we're going to sort of take a sweeping overview of verses 23 to 27 in this first point where we talk about the nature of God's blessing. How do we understand what God's blessing is? What is God trying to get at when he talks about wanting to bless his people, his chosen ones, his church? Well, a common way to understand blessing, I think the way we might use blessing or think about blessing uh, in common Western culture is as merely a, a kindness, an encouragement, just a good word you speak about someone. Uh, maybe even just saying, God bless you when someone sneezes, right? It's not a big deal to us. It's just sort of performative or a nicety. Uh, and it struck me as very different when last Sunday we weren't here. We went to uh, a dear friend of ours who was becoming ordained as a rabbi. And so we went down to see him get ordained. And there was a pervasive theme in their service about the importance of blessing. And I came to see how sometimes just a different cultural context can have such a deeper appropriation of what it is to see blessing as important. I think it's a more resonant, perhaps, understanding of what blessing is than, than many of us care uh, and that many of us know in our, in our experience of the world. Uh, but really, Scripture here is going to help us understand, and a few other things, that the blessing of God, the blessing God is extending in this passage is not just a word. It's not just an encouragement. Uh, William Holliday has a Hebrew lexicon, which if you know anything about language, a lexicon is sort of the unpacking of every minute word and its possible meaning in any situation. This is someone who really knows language. And he explains that the word to bless here in verses, if you see 23, 24, 27, the word barek means to actually bestow power for something, whether that's prosperity, success, health. It means to bestow power for that on someone. Or it means to declare that someone now has that power to do something. It has a force to it. In other words, it's not just an encouragement when God says, bless them, but actually it's meant to be an empowering, an authorizing, a, a creating or an installing of power for someone who did not know that or did not have it before. It's meant to give you something entirely new. 
which means the blessing of God, and this blessing in particular, is meant to be something that actually changes you, that leaves you different than it found you, that has a generative force in your life. It opens up new realities to you that you did not have before. It doesn't just acknowledge realities that it sees in you. That's what, that's what our blessing often is. Our encouragement often is, is, I see you being a generous and kind person. I want to affirm that in you. That's acknowledging a reality that's already there. The blessing of God has the power, as we talked about before, to create a reality where it hasn't existed before. God putting his blessing on his people is meant to create something that wasn't even there before. Henry Nouwen picks up on this concept in his book saying, blessing is, is more than a word of praise or appreciation. It is more than pointing out someone's talents or good deeds. To give a blessing, he says, touches the original goodness of the other person and calls forth their belovedness. In other words, the blessing of God calls out something deeper in us, something we were always meant to have, but which apart from that blessing, we would not have. Apart from that blessing that we have lost because of the effects of sin. So blessing is meant to be something of a reversal of the destructive, disintegrating effects of sin, of life in a broken world that we so often experience. It's something that speaks back into the darkness. And now one is right about blessing as, as connecting with something deeper in us, something that we are meant to have but have lost. Because when we look at verses 24 through 27, we see the blessing of God empowering people to have exactly those deeper things that they lost because of the effects of sin. Take a look. Verse 24 it says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. What's that referring to? Uh, Dennis Cole, in his commentary on Numbers, says that blessing in that book includes a few particular things. It would include numerous descendants, the multiplying of the people. It would include the fruitfulness of the land, that God would take care of them in their work and provide for them. It would include long life, good health, and protection. That's what blessing looks like in this book. And when God is saying, may the Lord bless you and keep you, it's showing a mirror image of when God in Genesis blessed and commissioned his people saying, be fruitful and multiply. Eat from the tree of life and live. Walk with me and have my protection. To bless the people is to walk them back in time to what they had with him originally in the garden. We see more of that coming out in the other verses. Verse 25, it says, May the Lord make his face shine on you. And what that means is, is to give you the radiance of his presence. You could say the light of his presence. And what does light do in the darkness? It guides you. It gives you light. It is giving back the guidance of God in a world where so much is uncertain. Verse 26, it says, May the Lord uh, turn his countenance or lift up his countenance, his face to you. And that may be a little hard to understand, but as one commentator says, it's an expression of pleasure and affection, that it's equivalent to God smiling at you, to having the smile of God. It's saying, may you have the friendship and approval, the smile of God. 
May you have that what you once had long ago, but now you have become enemies and lost. May you have that again. To be blessed here in these verses is to be drawn into that original goodness that Nowen speaks of, of that communion that we once had with God before sin, suffering, and death came in and wrecked everything. It means blessing does a lot more than just encourage you. Blessing is meant to draw us back into a life with God beyond pain, beyond fear, beyond loneliness, a life back in the garden. It means the blessing of God is more than just words, more than God just acknowledging a reality in you, but calling out a reality in you that you once had but have lost. It's power. It's restoration. It's resurrection. This is what God wants to give to his people in this passage, not just a pat on the back, but an enlivening power that would give them something that they did not have before. That's in a nutshell the nature of the blessing of God. But I want to talk about not just the nature of it as this empowering, enlivening thing, but also the necessity of that, and even the necessity of that from God's own perspective. So if we look more closely, we're going to see the necessity of it come out through verse 23. Because God does not just merely choose his people and then leave them to struggle. God doesn't liberate his people from slavery and exodus and then just go, here you go, out you go, come on, let's go baby bird, out of the nest, fly, do your thing. God doesn't do that with his people. He sets his blessing on you, not merely as a nice to have, but because it is essential, because it is necessary, because we need it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know we need that. Because the likely reality is, as Henry Nowen points out, that the sense of being cursed often comes much more easily to us than the sense of being blessed. I would bet that more often this week, more often this month, you and I have gone through the minutes and hours of our lives wrestling with a feeling of curse rather than a feeling of blessing. That curse is what we experience and what we know and what we are familiar with, not the blessing of God. We feel anxious, feel sad, feel lonely, we feel misunderstood feel unloved, unworthy, unseen, unknown. And that feeling wears us down. It has an effect on us. Now it says, I am increasingly aware of how much we fearful, anxious, insecure human beings are in need of a blessing. We are stretched thin by the curse and we need the blessing of God to let us relax, to let us rest, to let us reconstitute. Now one says what we intuitively know, that it is, in quote, not enough to be chosen. We also need an ongoing blessing that allows us to hear in an ever new way that we belong to a loving God who will never leave us alone. We need not just God's choosing, but his sustaining in this life. 
We need to be supported in the time when life is experienced under the curse of sin, when suffering, brokenness, and death are still so painfully real. We need that. We feel that. You need the empowering of God to keep going in this life. And God agrees with Henry Nouwen, or maybe better said, Nouwen is following God when he talks about these things this way, because in this passage, God says his people need to receive this. He doesn't just suggest that this might be nice. He doesn't say, this isn't sort of in wisdom literature, if you think this is happening, then do this. No, this is a command of God. Verse 23, God says to the priests, that's Aaron and his sons where the priesthood, he says, you shall bless them. Not you might, or maybe it would be helpful for, or you might consider blessing them. This, he says, is what you will do. This is what you must do, right? This is not an option. This will happen. If you are obeying me, this is what you are doing. It is the explicit command of God to the priests to speak this blessing over, to, to empower and reanimate his hurting people. I want you to hear that very clearly. It is not optional in God's mindset to bless you. It is a command of God to bless his people. He sees it himself as a necessity. It's not just that you feel it, it's that he sees it as a necessity for you. Everyone who believes in him, whom he's chosen by grace, not by our efforts, not by what we have in ourselves, but just by grace. We all need to receive this level of support of God for his people. He knows that we need it, and he delights to give that to us, so much so that he would, that he would command it to be done by his people, that he would command them to bless one another, in part, as we've said, because we need that sustaining, but also I want to spend just a second thinking about because blessing is just God's heart for his people, right? Our world is broken, there is pain in that, but there is not a sense in scripture that, that when God returns and brings the new heavens and the new earth that there won't be any more blessing. Blessing is not just a response to the curse of sin and death. Blessing is what, as we sort of talked about in a nutshell already, God meant for us to have in the beginning in the garden with him, but we lost. And so we, we can see that if we follow the train of thought through to the end, when God removes finally all the pain and brokenness of sin and death, that at the end, what will be left is not neutrality, but blessing. A state of blessedness, of empowerment, of thriving, of being alive to the max in God that that's what we are awaiting because that isn't what is in God's heart for you. But we have learned through pain and suffering to doubt that, to question if that's what God really has for us. And I want to point out that, that this is what's on God's heart for his people. He commands this not just because we need it in a world of brokenness, but because this is his disposition towards you. This is what overflows from his heart. This is what he wants you to know this is what he wants to tell you this was what was so important that he commanded it be done that it would be recorded in scripture for all time for all his people to see that he longs to bless you he longs to bless you this blessing if you are in him by grace through faith just those simple things 
is his posture towards you. Do you know that? Is that how you think God sees you? If you were to play back the tape of your week and think about how God must think about you, do you think it's a posture of blessing? The command was spoken not when the people had a good week, not when they had obeyed all the rules. The command was just the command that you are to speak this blessing over the people. This is not just an affirmation of what I see. This is a creation of what I give to you, that you are, because I choose you, blessed in me. This is his position towards you. Not because you are good enough, but just because he longs and loves to bless his people. So if God understands this blessing as necessary, as on his heart, as what he can't help but do, how does he actually do that? Uh, verse 27 helps us out here. Verse 27 says it would come by the priests, quote, putting his name on the people. It says, so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That's how the blessing would come. That's what God is saying this three-part blessing of those verses does, 24 through 26. It puts his name on them, and that will bless them. We can miss it, but we're actually helped if we go back through a little bit because there is a repeated use, if you look at the text, of the Lord's name in verses 24 through 26. Anytime you see the Lord in all caps, that's referring back to the Hebrew. It's called the Tetragrammaton. Yahweh, right? The, the name that isn't pronounced because we're not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but that's God's personal name. When you see the Lord, it's saying the personal name of God is doing these things, and it's using his personal name over and over. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. It says, the Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord lift up his countenance. And Dennis Cole in his commentary again notes that it's not grammatically necessary to talk that way, right? I don't have to say, Travis, bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, show you his presence. You could do that without saying, Travis, 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 Travis. You can do it without saying the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, right? It sounds like a record is skipping. I know most of us don't know what those are anymore, right? But it just, a CD is stuck, you scratched it, you had a problem, and it's skipping, right? It sounds like that, but that's not actually what's happening. It's actually putting an emphasis on the people. Because to say something three times over was a superlative. It's an emphasis tool in the language of Hebrew. It's saying the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is God putting his name on his people in an authoritative way. It's putting his stamp and seal on them to say that you are mine and as mine, this is what happens to those who are mine. It's saying that, that the blesser and keeper of this people is the Lord. The giver of guiding light and grace for his people is the Lord. The giver of favor and peace for his people is the Lord. Again and again and again, he is stamping his name on his people. I don't know if you saw the movie Toy Story, but it's certainly old enough now that many of you have seen it, certainly. And what happens in Toy Story at a certain point, at least in one of the movies, I can't remember which one, but there is something special about the fact that Woody the cowboy, has his owner's name, Andy, written on his foot. It marks him as special, as having a home, as belonging to someone, as being cared for. 
It was something different about being Andy's toy, right? About belonging to him. And in the same way, we see that kind of stamp here, that specialness of having a name put on you. And God is doing that through this three times repetition kind of way where he's saying you are going to be blessed and kept, guided and given grace, favor and peace because you have my name written on you. That when the priests speak this three times over, it is sealing my name on you. It's saying in a sense that there is no more that I could do to put my name on you. I can't say this in a higher way. This is the most I can say it. This is just writing it all over you over and over again. You are mine. I put my name on you. You're locked in as his and as his then... You are irrevocably blessed by the God that you belong to. The God who created all things and makes all things new. It's stunning if we, if we pause to really try and comprehend it for a moment. To be so deeply named as belonging to God. A people who at this point were a mess. Right? They had just come out of years of slavery. They are psychologically damaged and messed up from that brutality. They also just have sin in their hearts and they are messed up and broken from that. This is, again, not God recognizing something great in them. We talked about why God chose them last time around, not because they were great, but just because of his love and promises. God puts his name on them in a time when they were a mess. And yet God, by his grace, names them calls them his own. But there's still something in that, that amazing blessing that feels not quite full, not all the way there yet. I mean, they have something that they haven't had in centuries, the presence of the Lord in the center of the camp with them. That's what the book of Numbers describes. The tent of meeting, sort of the sanctuary, if you were, was in the middle of the group of people and everyone camped around that. God was right at the center of them and yet the people could not just go in freely. Number says it was only once a year that one person could go in and what you did there was not hang out and have a meal with God, but you made atonement for the sins of the people that kept them separated from God. So they were his special people just by grace that he puts this blessing on, but they are not fully enjoying all that we just unpacked from that blessing. They're not back in the garden in that full, uninterrupted way of life with God. There's an expectant quality to this blessing. Where God is sealing them, yes, and saying, you are mine, and yet there's also something that is still yet to come. Sealed, but not yet delivered. It's like he's given them the tracking number in some sense, right? And the package of blessing is on its way. You know that it's coming, but it's not yet here, even though it's yours. It has your name on it. It will go nowhere else except to you, but it's not there yet in some way. And it draws us to look forward, I think, to a time when God would actually, to be, to be expecting, to be longing for, the people would be longing for a way in which God really was present with them like this, where his face could shine on them and that wouldn't be destructive to them, where they could handle it and not just handle it, but enjoy it. They would be longing for, just as you and I are longing for in the depths of our hearts, to be in that presence of the infinite, the eternal, the good, and the almighty, and to flourish in that. They would be longing for it, and yet it wasn't there. They were in anticipating that time when the light of God really would shine on them. 
And scripture tells us that the time when that would actually come to fruition was and is the incarnation of God the Son, Jesus Christ. When God in entirely new ways would put his name on his people by becoming one of them, even taking the name Emmanuel, God with us, that in Jesus Christ God puts his name on humanity, seals humanity as so special to him that of all he created, he would become human to save humans in our brokenness, to finish the promise, the pledge of this blessing that he gave thousands of years before by removing all the obstacles that stand in the way of having it be fully theirs, of having them back in a garden kind of relationship with him, by removing what separated them by removing the curse and the affliction that was not just around them, but in them, that affliction that they couldn't remove themselves, which is sin, Jesus bearing that on the cross for them under their name, putting the name of their sin on him, putting the name of your sin on him. That's what Jesus does there at the cross. He stands there under what comes with your name so that you might have what comes with his name so that you might be sealed exclusively under the words of his name and blessing, that that and that alone is how you are treated in his house. The incarnation and the crucifixion are where the blessing of God in this passage truly comes home for all who believe. It's ultimately there it's only there in Jesus that this blessing becomes something beyond just words of expectation and promise, but that becomes something by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you by faith that has actual power to create and change the life that it promises. Because the curse of sin and death, the separation that broke that original goodness, that original state of blessing has been removed. The barriers are taken down. The dividing walls are taken down. There is no more separation. There is no more condemnation, Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there is no condemnation anymore, there is only then blessing, affirmation, love. This is the blessing of God for his church. That God has put his name on humanity in the person of Jesus Christ and all who simply put their faith in him have that name stamped on them too. The blessing of God is that he would become one of us to bless us, take our name that we might take his name to make good on his promises and promise even more things that he wouldn't just come and be around a few people, but that one day he would be coming back, that all who just believe would be gathered to him in this way. So practically, I want to encourage us a few things to do to start living into this blessing. We're going to talk more about blessing next week, and I don't expect any of us, myself included, to somehow fully get our arms around this, but we're just starting to slightly chip away. How do we do that more practically this week? I want to encourage you to do two things. To first, imagine this blessing, and to second, let him put his name on you and others. So I want to ask us to imagine this. Kids, if you're here, you have a head start on everyone. You know how to do this. 
Grown-ups, we have forgotten how to do this and maybe we're embarrassed to do this, right? But we're going to imagine together for a minute. I want you to do this. Try this, okay? Close your eyes with me and imagine a life where everything that this passage promises is true, where God has genuinely blessed you with prosperity, safety, family, life, health, where he is close to you, where he is smiling when he thinks of you, not frowning, where he protects you, listens to you, holds you. What does that place look like? What does it sound like if you're there? What does it feel like? What does it smell like even? What is this place where blessing rules? You can open your eyes and try to come back to this place when you are sad, angry, anxious, lonely, and just sit there for a little while and do what kids know how to do best is just imagine. Imagine what it would be like to just be sitting with God, beaming over you, smiling, so happy to see you. What would it be like to sit in that place for a little bit? When traffic is terrible, when the tea breaks down, when someone slights you personally, when you lose your job, when health is not going your way, there is nothing in those things that can keep you from sitting in that place. It's not already here, but your name is on the package and you can follow the tracking number. It says, it is coming. And I can't have it yet, but I can go there in my mind. And no one can keep me from doing that. Imagine, live into this place of blessing. Because in Christ, it's yours now, even if it's not quite here yet. And secondly, I want to encourage you to let him put his name on you and to let him put his name on those around you. Let him genuinely seal you three times over. Become Woody. Let him write the name on your foot that says you belong to him. That you have someone who cares about you. Let him carry your curse and give you his blessing instead. In the face of your shortcomings, let him put his name on you. Don't resist that. Maybe for the first time, maybe for a hundredth time, you've been resisting that. Don't resist let God, letting God just put his name on you. Not because there's something good in you, but just because that is who he is. Maybe it's hard to trust that that's who God is, that anyone would be like that, that anyone would relate to you graciously without expecting something in return. Maybe there's fear about what it means to let God put his name on you, but just look back at these blessings and see and think, isn't that the kind of name that you want to have covering you, sealing you? And isn't that the kind of name also that you want covering, sealing those you really care about, those who are in your lives? For all those who belong to him, when they hurt you, when they frustrate you, let him put his name on them again, right? Paul says there is, no now, is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. That means his name is on them. He has finished it. It is sealed in all the ways that we want to be bitter and angry towards them over and over. What might it look like? Not to ignore the things that are hard, not to ignore the things that are broken, but to, to ask God that, would you put your name on them if I can't? Would you put your name 
on them because I, I want you to put your name on me too. What might it look like to let him heal them, to let him convict them of sin in his own time, to soften them, to soften you, but to have my desire not be that I be right and they be wrong, but that ultimately we would both have God's name graciously on us so that together we might be a people who are blessed and who long to bless, who are singing blessing back and forth to one another. May God, by his blessing, make it so. Let's pray. I'd like to leave a little space for you to respond in your hearts about some of the things we've just talked about or about our, our service, what we've sung and heard, maybe thanking God, thanking God that he would bless you like this, that he would smile on someone like you. Maybe confess the ways that, that we've just hardened our hearts against hearing this blessing. That we don't want it. We feel like we don't need it. It's not, it's not really mattering to us. Or ask God to let you know in a much deeper way that this blessing is yours. To share in it and share it with others. Let's pray for a few moments. God, we pray that you would hear these prayers and that you would smile on those who pray. In your name and by your spirit, we pray. Amen.